today's read, Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soja, Chapter 7, My Women. It was well after midnight when I carried my seven-year-old sister on my back to our Brooklyn apartment. Uma said she should really walk on her own two feet. Naja said, but Uma, you two have been out having fun without me. Can't I at least get a ride on my brother's back? Out having fun, Uma replied softly in her way. Then she looked at me and said, you see? Naja clenched me tightly with no plans of climbing down before the elevator reached our floor and she was delivered to her bedroom. Uma was right, as she usually is. Naja is our protected princess who has no real idea of worry or struggle or stress. I thought that was good. I planned to protect my sister and keep her hidden away from those things that should never be revealed to little girls. In our traditions, a young girl lives under the protection of her father and brothers until she becomes a young woman. Then the father and her brothers will marry her into the protective care of her tried and tested, carefully chosen husband. As I looked into Uma's eyes, so striking behind her nika that shielded and covered everything else, I could see and feel that she was worried. I thought to myself, Uma, don't you worry. If you are uneasy, I will not move one inch from your side. I will stay right here with you. But Uma noticed me noticing her, and she cleared her worries and lowered her gaze. Tuesday, May 6th, 1986, we made prayer together, my mother, sister, and me, followed by a warm and comfortable breakfast. Uma and I did not discuss the details of my Japan trip until after Naja was safely seated in the school bus to Khadija's Islamic School for Girls. Naja waved as the bus eased off. She was so happy this morning because she had her sitter, Miss Marcy, Uma, and me all escort her to the bus. Usually, Uma and I are already on our way to Uma's job, and Naja is left in the care of Miss Marcy and walked directly into the care of the teacher who travels with the students on the bus. But today, Uma would not report to work until four in the afternoon. She had switched her schedule for this week with a co-worker from the night shift. She and I both agreed that there was more planning and work for us to do than time to do it. She also wanted to complete some products for me to deliver to Uma Design customers before I left for Japan. When you go see the jewelers again today, 
You should also select a gift for your father-in-law, Uma said. She slid an old, high-quality jewelry box across the table. Why should I? He's still my wife. I answered swiftly, yet respectfully. I opened the box. It was a Rolex date just. The hands of the clock were paused in time. The crystal was cracked. I had never seen it before. Your wife is his daughter. Our family has not ever been able to meet and greet him properly. We haven't offered him anything, yet he gave me such a lovely daughter-in-law. You just have to go there and ease his fears. Once he sees you and discovers how respectful you are toward him and sees how much Akimi is in love with you and you with her, his heart will soften toward you. If it does not soften toward you, he will certainly soften his heart for his daughter. Remember that even though we feel sad and insulted and ashamed that Akimi is not with us, he stole her away out of love more than cruelty. I was not focused <coughs> on feeling any sympathy toward Naoko Nakamura. I was keeping him right where he needed to be in my mind, just in case I had to do him something. I slid the box containing the date just in my pocket. Uma, I thought I saw worry in your eyes late last night. You know, I won't go anywhere if I see that. I was watching her closely. I was just tired. And I was also thinking too much. After you told me on the train about the arrangement with Mr. Kazali, I wondered if he had asked his wife first if it was okay for me to stay with them while you're away. I didn't give him a chance to speak with her first. I rode in his taxi with him, and we talked it out right there. He was on his way back out to work for the night. I see, Uma said, sounding hesitant. You know, the Ghazalis are new friends to our family. It has been good for me because Tamira Auntie doesn't ask me personal questions. It's as though our friendship began from the moment I took her and her sisters and daughters measurements for their garments for their nephew's wedding, and she and I have moved forward from there without ever looking back or discussing the past. I appreciated her for that reason. If I go to stay over there at her house, it may all very well change. Then come to Japan with me, I said with a smile. I was serious and sincere. She pushed away and hit me on my shoulder as though the idea was ridiculous. We have spent every penny of almost $100,000 on our new house and I love it. Now we have minus three pennies left, she laughed. You go on and get your wife and Naja and I will stay at Mr. Kazali's. Naja will be excited living in a house with such a big family and her Arabic will improve, I'm sure. Uma brightened all the way up to reassure me that she was okay. You know, Uma, even though you and Mrs. Ghazali have become friends, I handled this as straight business. It's their house. 
but it's a separate apartment, separate entrance, separate key, and rent. I know you have made it right for me, and I know their basement apartment is very nice. It is where Tamara Auntie and I plan to have our Sudanese women's group meetings, so I am sure it will be fine. I stood up from our kitchen table where Uma was seated. I needed to grab my things and head out to the Diamond District. In my room, I stood still, thinking. After 20 minutes or so, I began flipping through a short pile of papers I had that concerned my wife. In a small notebook that I rocked daily in my right pocket, I jotted down what little information I had on Akimi. The first word I wrote was Kyoto, the place where Akimi was born. The second note to myself was Kyoto Girls High School, the place the MoMA art exhibit event pamphlet said Akimi attended school. The third note was the address Akimi had given me for her father, Ropongi Hills, Tokyo, Japan. The fourth note was the address that her father had written down for himself on our wedding documents. Jinza, Tokyo, Japan. Those were my clues. I shoved the notebook in my pocket. Reluctantly, I pulled out the letter that Akimi had written to me and had delivered to Cho's where I worked my weekend job on the exact day that she went missing. She had written it all in kanji. Maybe she had explained herself in those pages or left the name and address of where her father was about to drag her. She knew I could get the letter translated into English the same way that I had arranged for her marriage documents to be translated into Japanese and the same for our marriage contract. I pushed her letter into my back pocket. I wanted to know what it, what it said, yet I didn't want to know what it said. Either way, I was going to go get her regardless. In a last-minute decision, I grabbed Akimi's diary off my desk secured my diamonds, and headed out into a blue-gray, cloudy day.